0: a journey into sound.
1: Information in the form of energy streams in, streams in simultaneously through all of our sensory systems in the form of energy. Of our sensory systems. And then it explodes into this enormous collage of what this present moment looks like, what it feels like, and what it sounds like. It explodes into this a technical dream. All the dangers which you have feared are unnecessary productions of your own mind. Whether you experience heaven or hell, remember. Whether you experience heaven or hell, remember that it is your mind which creates them. your world
0: my guest is shanti sojourn zenith she's an earth poet edge weaver approaching ritual through the nervous system creative expression and relationship to wider ecosystemic bodies of support her practice weaves together learnings from somatics animism constellations poetics field perception clowning Grief Ritual, and Systems Intelligence, and is currently completing Long Body Prayers, a book of ego poetic essays. You expressed interest in talking about dancing with the fields of domination and also talking about the process of channeling maitake. What are you feeling right now?
2: I have been thinking it would be lovely to just start with an embodiment practice and dropping in and that also for talking about the Dancing with Domination fields, which are kind of like the growing edge of what I'm exploring, it feels really important to kind of have a container of ancestors and earth beings that are holding space at the same time as both sort of a landing in body and also an inviting in of support. So yeah, I think that would be the place to start. So imagining like all of the beings in the future who will be Listening to this also, and kind of tendriling out to all these different moments in time and space when people might be landing. So just starting with just feeling your body in space in this moment, I often will bring some touch like, to my face, or my arms or my legs. I just sort of give myself a tangible sense of being here and feeling that contact, and just noticing if there. Any places where your body kind of wants the support of hands, lately I'm finding like putting a hand on the back of my neck sometimes can be really grounding. And right now there's kind of some gentle rocking and noticing starting to happen. So if there's a way that your system wants to play with subtle movement or play with yawning, just letting, letting breath move more through your body, if that feels good right for you and taking the time to just invite back all of the parts of your system that might be entangled in other places and other contexts right now as there thoughts that are going towards past or future energetics that are not kind of fully rooted here just inviting them back in and concentrating this sense of the center Concentrating in belly, in legs, and giving your system permission as much as feels possible to let your attention go downwards and to feel the way that your legs, your seat, are making contact with the ground, making contact with gravity. And noticing any places where your body might still be gripping away any ways in which you're kind of still holding yourself and can't fully give your weight to the ground. And just letting those patterns be here too without needing to change anything. And seeing if you can kind of have a double sensing. So you're both sensing your body resting into this contact and also sensing the ground meeting you and holding you and feeling the specificity of this land body, this particular ecosystem that is the ground. The land body that I'm with is Minnesota Mokoche, which is the homeland of the Dakota people. And the Mississippi River is very nearby, steps away from where I live. Just feeling this context of your nervous system, your body meeting the ecosystem, meeting a particular webbing of plant beings and animal beings, bodies of water, the plains or the mountains, full shape of the land that you're with. And listening in your system, how your body responds to that contact, to this sense of a wider holding. I'm noticing that there's kind of some rocking in my spine And there's a sense of my body starting to kind of relax more downwards and just letting whatever is happening just be there without needing it to be different than it is. And seeing if you can feel the sense of the land meeting you and the consciousness of the land meeting your consciousness right now. And then inviting in all of the people who have been able to be in right relationship with this ecosystem you're with, the original people, the tenders of this land, past, present, and future. And also through your body, your contact with gravity, feeling the places in your ancestry where your people also know that sense of right relationship. The entire span of deep time ancestors who are rooted into relationship with place. And really asking in your sensing I'm also going to ask in my sensing for just right amount, whatever the sensations are that are coming through, letting it be really digestible and subtle for your system. Not feeling like you have to take in too much. Just really finding that point of nourishment for you. And with body and with land and with ancestors, as if there's this image of being in a communal hot tub with all of these beings kind of resting back along the edge, holding you. So you don't have to be kind of leaning forward and trying to do anything or hold anything. You get to be resting back into being held in this circle of other people, other beings who are resting back being held. And allowing whatever parts of your system that aren't quite able to feel that holding or that are feeling contraction or feeling abandonment, letting those beings kind of rest in the center of the space in these concentric circles of holding and that they get to have a place in the system too. They get to begin to experience what it's like to be held and not have to be the ones who are making things happen. And feeling that place in the center of you, what Liz Cook calls core integrity, this sense of a pulsing center of erotic life. that is able to perceive connection with this wider ecosystem of beings and able to discern for your system at this moment, what is the just right amount to really modulate relationship, to find ways of stepping back or stepping forward as your system needs, the feel of permission to pause and feeling how that center, the center of your center is connected to the center of the earth. There's a place in you that comes from a deep place of primordial belonging and relaxing any effort or any trying to do it right and just letting what's happening be what's happening and seeing if any part of your system can sense into the field of primordial nourishment that is the foundation of reality is present this consciousness which is holy mother the biointelligence, the flow primariness of nature and knowing that that presence that foundation is always there whether we can sense into it in the moment or not and making all these beings that primordial foundation, primordial nourishment, the whole webbing of ancestors and elements, the ecosystem you're with, and your body, this wild animal body. Taking all these presences. So you allow yourself to maybe wiggle your toes and your feet if that feels good. Ah, bring some touch back to your body. And slowly start to reorient to the space you're in. If your eyes have been closed, opening them. Just allowing whatever moved in your system to carry with you into the next gesture and the next moment. That practice is, is really informed by my own learning from Larissa Call of Animist Arts. So deep inspiration and and some of the things I say directly come from them. And also Liz Cook, some of the ways of sensing come from Liz. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, bringing us back to ourselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah, in the widest possible sense.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And it's really interesting how there's this very entangled relationship between who we are and the land and ancestry that they're all inextricably interwoven even down to the indistinguishable level. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think when people, you know, talk about doing ancestral healing or nature connection or, you know, all of the things which, you know, people are starting to feel drawn to now as they realize kind of what's been missing. Sometimes there's a sense of having to start really far away from yourself And what I really love about the embodied attunement practices are like you really, you just start closest in with what's moving in your body. And that is directly connected to all of the other relationships.
0: Yeah, it's an expansion of ourselves in relation to everything, to all that is, because we're not separate from all of that.
2: Yeah, we're not separate. And at the same time, there is that discerning center, that part that carries a sense of uniqueness and the sense of what is the just right amount, which is a, a direct concept from Larissa called the just right amount of whatever your system is is able to take in and metabolize. Because I think that piece around overwhelm and either too much or not enoughness is such a, such a thing in this culture.
1: Mm.
0: And we oscillate between the two continually, as well as oscillating between any kind of polar dynamic tensions.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And again, like that nuanced wave where it stops being this binary or this double bind and it starts to actually be this relational dance, which I think often there's something about allowing things to be tiny and kind of ordinary and digestible. I was thinking a lot this week actually about how my experiences of kind of having nature speak to me or sort of these ritual ceremony experiences of connection with nature they started as like these peak experiences and now they're just very subtle ordinary kind of daily life encounters and that feels really important because i think even within kind of you know healing narratives of this culture like there's still kind of an emphasis on getting to the peak experiences
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a kind of spiritual and healing materialism kind of a thing Mm -hmm. so you were talking about this dance that's continually going on and getting small with it like down to the vibratory level
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean even in just the last like three four years of Somatic practice, when I started, it would be much more, I just notice numbness in my body, or I would just notice pain, you know, or places that had a lot of tension, or it was kind of this back and forth between intense negative emotion and numbness a lot of the time. And, you know, that sometimes still happens, but the more that I've had support to drop into my system... And then have continued to practice and, you know, on my own and with friends and in group containers, there's just more of a sense of both sort of more textures and aspects of myself that I'm able to kind of sense into, like more specific nuanced qualities. And then also more of a being able to be in the resting or the kind of neutrality, which is, it feels different than freeze. I mean, kind of when we talk about parasympathetic, I think, you know, there's something about just sort of being at a place of beingness that doesn't have a lot of charge to it, that it's able to kind of return to this baseline of there's both a solidity and a flow. Something I'm starting to play with is this framework of these three different kind of elemental qualities. And one is that supporting stone, which is that being able to relax into gravity and just that solidity of being held. And then another layer is the fluid fields and that that subtle movement and how that oscillation of life force can move through a living system. And then the final one, which it feels like really needs the other two to be able to emerge, is mycelial mind and the sense of how systems create basically and kind of become microclimates or become neural networks and can reorganize through the, the support of these other layers.
0: I would love for you to say more about that and describe what your sense of that is in your own direct experience.
2: Mm. I think the supporting stone is often I'll kind of experience it while laying on my back, constructive rest is a shape that Liz Cook talks about as kind of a, a baseline to come back to, where you're laying on your back and your your knees are up and your feet are down, and just that meeting gravity. It really feels like a meeting what is. But just noticing, even if parts of my system are kind of contracted away, or if you know my thoughts are racing, or it's just noticing whatever is there and meeting what is, and seeing if at the same time I can feel the solidity of the earth holding me and all of the beings because the supporting stone and this this sense of earth ground the words that came through which are in my writing around the bones of all the dead, all the ancestors returned to feed the wider ground of life. That's also kind of where that field of primordial nourishment comes from are the presences of, of all the ones who have died and have allowed their beings to be kind of consumed. By the the wider ecosystem as nourishment. And that all that then is holding and is accessible just in that resting back. So that's kind of the baseline. And then from there, I'll listen for subtle impulses for movement or sound or breath. And there's this sense that as long as something is alive, parts of a being are moving. Like there's always movement where there's life. You know, even if it's in the freeze, the gripping of the freeze, it means certain parts of us are actually having to kind of adjust to allow for that freeze to be kept in a certain way. It's a, a concept from Nora Bateson around paralysis in systems. And so, yeah, just that that subtle movement and the sense of a field, whether it's inside the body in the fluid system and the fascia, or in the kind of wider fields across time and space. So it could be an ancestral field, but there's this sense of flow that can be interrupted in certain places. And so to start to feel the really subtle ways of allowing the flow to happen again. And then the mycelial mind, I'm still really kind of starting to play with. I mean, obviously it connects to all of the sort of frameworks and descriptions and poetry and different ways of describing that I've been playing with. But I think there's actually something about the creativity that is emergent in the meeting of solidity and flow. And there was a moment when I, I had a, a sense from mushroom beings, from fungi, that they have this kind of initiatory medicine for stitching relationships between water and land. And goes back all the way to those moments when fungi first came out of the ocean and started to teach plants how to grow root systems later. And that ability to take... Relationship to life and to flow, and to also bring it into metabolizing the ground and what is dead into nourishment for life. So, I'm still really kind of like playing with what they are and how they connect. And there's something that's kind of imminent in a lot of the practices of people I've been learning from that seems to sort of relate to one or more of those qualities. And I think when Nora Bateson talks about what is submerging. And the processes that have to take place below the level of consciousness and that can't be seen. They feel related to these three qualities in terms of attunement below the level of words.
0: Mm. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in liminal space. Yes. Curled up, usually in fetal position in bed, you know, before I get up and join the outer world. And I do a lot of that. And so that's primarily what I was asking about, asking you to talk about your experience of was more in that realm of mycelial mind, which is like the further extension out of those grounded and held spaces from which we can feel safe to emerge in these vastly emerging creative ways, which is like the way I'm thinking of the way mycelial mind works and how the whole mycelial field grows and expands. It's part of the cosmic creative process in probably the most direct sense that we could imagine. Just these filaments just extending, growing and extending out and establishing relationships with everything it encounters. And it's really amazing and wonderful how mycelium does that it it really engages in these symbiotic relationships with everything it encounters and establishing relationships of mutual nourishment?
2: Yes, and the part about the relationships that that has to do with metabolizing too, I think, is really interesting because that also kind of touch into domination fields and where colonization kind of became this accumulating entity eating other things is the necessity of metabolizing as a baseline of healthy culture. It's interesting because last time we were talking kind of more about that developmental process of feeling a sense of holding and support from the adults and the beings around you as a child to create this sense of a rooted center. And then today, what I'm kind of sensing into is more around the transition from childhood to adulthood being about... Than the direct relationship with the wider body, which includes the relationship with threat and with death. So there's something that on a nervous system level happens when humans have experiences that trigger that threat reaction, where there's an actual charge that comes up in our system that needs some form of metabolizing, some form of being met with support so that it can you know, the emotions can circulate back to the wider body of the earth and aren't held inside of our bodies then as tension and, you know, eventually compound into autoimmune things or get kind of shot sideways out of our bodies into other people over generations, like becomes the shape of systemic oppression and the way that, you know, people can, because of that inability to metabolize what is coming up in their own system. Start to create sacrifice zones and create places so called outside of themselves to put that charge. And so that the sense of a domination field, and I don't, I still don't feel like I'm explaining it. Like there's some deeper layers. I'm just starting to kind of try and speak into this. And every time I talk about it, I also want to acknowledge that every time you talk about domination fields, especially when using the English language, you are like entangled in domination fields. And so there's, Always for me, an invitation to kind of go slowly to know that there are other layers of perception that are happening that are difficult to speak into. But this sense of domination fields as what happens when there is an accumulation of threat reactions in the kind of collective nervous system of a group of people that don't have the cultural support to be metabolized. You know, so in most indigenous cultures, earth-rooted cultures. They're cultural technologies for metabolizing those nervous system experiences of threat through ritual, through sound, through movement, through many forms of expression, often below the level of language. And when my people lost that sense, lost like those cultural technologies, you know, they're, speculations of how that could have happened. But there's some sort of sense of a cultural rupture, which meant that the ways of metabolizing and the ways of experiencing the support of ancestors of the earth somehow became inaccessible. And so then there's this accumulation, you know, what we call ancestral trauma is also this accumulation of these unmetabolized nervous system states that are just staying You know, and are then kind of distracted from through addiction and, you know, all of the different ways of coping. But that energy then stays in these domination fields that then shape the cultural systems that we're living inside of. And so, obviously, systemic oppression, you know, the constructs around race, redlining, you know, the very specific institutional structures around that are a very hot example which often then for people who are still like very, very entangled in these domination fields. So like for people who are direct descendants of colonizers, it's very, very hard to relate to and see those fields directly. And so something that I've been tracking is that there are particular places systemically where white-bodied people can have an experience of what it's like to experience systemic oppression So the whole kind of social security disability system is one of those places, the social safety net programs, all of these different kind of decontextualized bureaucratic entities that have a direct lineage, you know, often from eugenics and from these ancestral trauma fields that really still get entangled with people's nervous systems. There's something there around being able to identify those as domination fields outside instead of internalizing them, to be able to have a sense of differentiation from them and know that they're part of their purpose is kind of to plug into the nervous system and create these feelings of intense activation. But there are some spaces for agency in terms of how our nervous systems can be supported to meet those spaces. So I still feel pretty like clumsy as I'm talking about this. I just want to say that, but it's something I'm really curious about. And yeah i'm just really interested in in being in conversation and exploration with many different people around this
0: this is a fascinating and largely unexplored territory and certainly unexplored in terms of language so yeah we're actually in the process of creating language to be able to encompass this whole issue and in the collective white body that have been engaged in centuries if not millennia of domination and other forms of oppression, there have to be deep in in the subconscious experience, guilt and shame for doing things that deep within us, we know are counter to our true nature and our sense of what was that we most needed as vibrant, truly alive beings when we were young and yet being enculturated by our parents and the communities around us that have become disconnected from a more mutually engaged way of being in the world with the land and with others that we aren't taught or initiated into any other way of being. So we go straight from the experience and trauma of being exiled from our true sense of self to these very oppressive and violent ways of relating to the other, you know, whoever and whatever fits into the social context of what is other and a potential threat. And you don't have much in the way of initiatory rights for cultures that have become deeply stuck or trapped in that kind of experience, that kind of cultural experience. And these days, many of these communities are trying to isolate and insulate themselves even more so from the threat of having to face it directly themselves.
2: I think there's also something about at some point in whatever kind of ruptured or broke, part of that really is around that discernment of right amount and right relationship. And there's almost something about Satiation and nourishment, you know, and Francis Weller, I think, is the one who talks about primary nourishment from those deep places of embodied connection and the sense that the one place, you know, like Resma Menakem's work and, you know, some of their conversations around colonization and ancestral trauma and whiteness by Okoma is another one who mm-hmm. has kind of been formative in some of my ways of relating. You know, I still don't quite have language for it, but it's still... Yeah, it's so hard
0: for us white people to really talk into that space.
2: Yeah, I think one way of relating to that space, which is actually why with Dancing with Domination Fields, I'm really curious to look at, especially places around care and disability, because there's still places where the domination fields are incredibly present, but there's a different quality to those spaces that has, in some ways, like in my own experience, like less of a kind of intense freeze and activation. But there is almost this kind of like foggy haze that comes with trying to kind of move within this conversation, which I think that that is the domination field. That is this kind of sense of, of all of this unmetabolized energy that's also so decontextualized. And that is sort of this cultural double bind. So Nora Bateson talks about the double bind as this like no win situation reality is kind of sealed in a vacuum and there's no way out. There's kind of no outside of the situation it feels like. And so that piece around how to add more context or how to move across context when it feels like it's so frozen in one place. So even as I was exploring how sort of where I situate myself in talking about this, I realized that to speak more about my personal ancestry, so my mother's side of the family, there's some Swedish and German, but most of that side of the family is English. And many of those ancestors came on the Mayflower and were kind of original settler colonists, Puritan people, directly involved in indigenous genocide.
0: Yeah, yeah so many things come up. Yeah, my ancestry is Jewish from Eastern Europe and Western Russia. and my ancestry coming over to this country was to escape the yeah. kind of oppression. So it was white on white oppression. It was religious and cultural oppression. And Yeah, that,
2: that's my my father's side of the family is that they're, they're Jewish and they're from what is now Romania and Ukraine. And most of was my great grandfather, who came with his mother. And I don't know that much about that side of the family, but I, I know that there were pogroms and like yeah. different things that
0: they were fleeing from. It yep. it's very similar to the kind of lynching that Black people experienced. And, and a kind of a miracle happened in South Africa with the transition from apartheid into a multicultural nation through that miraculous, I mean, it was a kind of a miracle that they were able to adopt that truth and reconciliation process. And there's this incredible resistance to even opening up, the possibility of doing anything like that in our country, like right now, there's so much resistance to even opening up the doors of exploring our history. You know, the history that that Black people have experienced have suffered at the hands of white people. And again, it's like it reflects back to this not only unmetabolized guilt and shame, but a, a level of guilt and shame that I think feels too much to even be able to even consider working with yeah that they have to dig in and defend their old way of being no matter how destructive and how contrary to their sense of what is equitable and true and it's so ironic that most of these people call themselves christian and yet i mean the irony is so extreme there so I might think of it in terms of taking responsibility for where we are and how to work with the trauma of our ancestry and in the process of taking responsibility to take steps to heal and find ways of holding the trauma so that we can metabolize it in our time, in our bodies, in our consciousness, in our awareness, and in our communities. And it's quite a challenge because we have Within our communities, within our broader communities, there's resistance to it. And we're like at a kind of adolescent stage in how to deal with it while we're still holding on to. Well, what about me? I'm losing, there's the th- possibility of me losing what I thought I had or what I thought I'm entitled to. Like white people have this incredible sense of entitlement that we have had for at least hundreds of years, if not millennia. And it's so hard to think of giving any of that up.
2: Which makes sense when there's like not basic ways of feeling nourished and at ease in your life. It really is kind of basic aspects of what it means to be a relational organism that are just cut and conditioned into, into the way the culture is shaped. And it's so interesting, actually. and one of the things I'm beginning to play with is that word entitlement, which is also the word that is, you know, is like given to the quote, social safety net programs. Like if you're low income, you can apply for food stamps, or you can apply for cash assistance, you know, or if you're disabled, you can apply for disability. And yet, even though there's the like cultural framing around like, you know that should be something that we should do for our society, those spaces are. St- The trauma residue and the domination field residue is still so active in those spaces, you know, and the whole the construction around like okay, so you you know you're going to apply for disability, so now prove that you're disabled. And this program where people are often at a place where they're too ill to work, and the application process, the consideration process, I think right now in the U.S., seventy percent of applications get turned down during the, the first application, which often takes at least six months to process. So for people who are in immediate need of basic survival financial support, it often takes a year or more to go through the poop jumping and the you know appeal process to get disability approved. The reason that I'm talking about this is that I'm having a direct experience of relating with this system. I applied and about six months later got a denial letter and that experience of receiving that denial letter after, you know, putting together like over 200 pages of health records and 15 pages of, you know, forms from my doctor and, you know, just all of the different steps and having a, having a mental status exam done, you know, where a psychologist who has never met me before spends 30 minutes with me and then writes a report that is a very influential part of whether my like so-called mental health conditions would be considered. So this whole decontextualized process and the ways that when I received that denial letter, I started to read it. And I think there was a phrase in it where like, your conditions are severe, but not severe enough to like merit financial support. And then just this whole field of shame that came in and this experience of feeling like there's there's so many layers to it there's this whole thing about like this projection that you're faking the system and you know that you should have like explained to yourself better worked hard enough or been sicker or like it literally the entire trauma body is right there in how my nervous system and those you know inner narratives are flared and inflamed by the engagement with that denial letter and that big institutional structure And so in that case, I noticed myself getting activated. I noticed heat rushing to my face, my breathing getting shallower. And I put the letter down, walked into the living room, like lit the candles on my altar, turned on some music, and I started to dance. And I started to just (laughs) let all of the, you know, there was this feeling of like, this is already such a... You know, there's like a basic survival need fear that gets triggered in relationship to this system, and I'm like, why is my nervous like I I cognitively know that this system is designed to do this, and yet my nervous system is still like incredibly activated and entangled in it right now. And so I started to dance. I started to move with those feelings. And I had this wave come of the way that there's like a very kind of gaslighting quality to a lot of the emotions and thoughts and feelings that get stirred up by interfacing with that system. And I had this kind of time travel sensing experience of like a dysfunctional family system, an abusive family system where a child was absorbing the impact of adults' emotions and their body was becoming sick from that and then the way the system responded to that was to blame the child and it felt like that might have been hundreds of years ago and then that tracked to because it was never witnessed or acknowledged to this giant United States industrial complex around social security program and all of the different bureaucratic hoop jumping that has gotten created as a way for whatever that trauma energy that's still in the kind of ancestral system to somehow get seen and met. And so I was feeling that as I danced, I was feeling that child who was never, never actually just seen because the adults didn't have the support to be able to be there. And then there was this sense of just this wall of ancestors of the deep time rooted radiant ones kind of coming behind me and just holding with me. And this wall of support that was present and could see the system and could metabolize it. And then this energy of bear that came in really strong. And I like I felt my fingers grow claws and I felt this roar coming through my body. And, and there's this drumming music playing and I was just dancing with this whole field of support. And this really primordial kind of anger in service to the protection of life and the sacredness of life and what had been... Ruptured and violated by not honoring that sacredness. And that was when the phrase dancing with domination fields came to me, and this sense of, oh, there's something here that's connected to all these other places, but there is a movement that is accessible here.
0: Mm, that's wonderful. Because <laughs> when a living being runs into or butts up against the deadness of our bureaucratic materialist yeah. culture, There is no communication there.
2: Right. And that was one of the other things. It's like, there's no there there, which is a replay. It's literally a systemic ancestral replay of something at one time, probably in the system was much smaller and intimate, trying to get resolved now on this giant level. And I mean, I think that's the whole thing, you know, with these hundreds or even thousand year old structures that we're inside of now is that it's gotten missed so many times. One place of kind of tracking this has been starting to, you know, to experience systemic constellations and constellations involving ancestors and leaving land and how there are ways where if a trauma is not acknowledged in a past generation, like if there was a trauma that caused a family to leave their homeland, it will start to play out in the future generations until it's witnessed, until those ancestors who never were able to be mourned actually can be seen by the descendants. And I think that's something that we miss when we're like these giant cultural entities that now are like the structure of our institutions. They have those seeds inside of them. They have those like incredibly intimate familial spaces, you know, or very small relational spaces that have been missed for so long that they've become this
0: other thing. Yeah, yeah. I was reflecting because when I was in high school, I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which was the incredibly heartbreaking story of the genocide of native peoples being literally ripped from their land and death marched to unknown places of exile. And then of course is the black diaspora of being stolen on their land in Africa, shackled into outrageously inhumane conditions on slave ships, and then sailing across stormy seas, and then sold as property. And then on the other side of the equation are generations of white people who had been living, I guess, for many, many generations, disconnected from life disconnected from any sense of land and healthy ancestry, which somehow created a black hole within themselves individually and culturally that created a kind of crazy, obsessive, addictive need to fill that black hole. And of course, it's impossible to fill a black hole in that way. We have to reconnect with the original break a rupture that occurred wherever it was in our ancestral line. And as a white culture, it seems, in some areas, almost unbridgeable.
2: Yeah, because I think we're often looking in the wrong place. And as I was just kind of trying to gesture towards with the story of the social security letter and the kind of being with my nervous system activation and the particular kind of ancestral story that came with that i think there's actually an invitation for moving things incredibly intimately that gets lost in the conversation and it's the same i mean whiteness itself is a decontextualization of where people come from you know it is it is itself a, a spirit an entity of being at this point but it's also as you were saying, it is an absence. It is a, you know, it's a void of the actual lineages and relationships that, you know, web a culture together. So I think it's, yeah, it's almost like talking about the embodiment practice and the same things around kind of trauma or connection to, you know, the earth or these seeking peak experiences. It's actually so much closer in and so much more intimate and so much more about, when your nervous system is experiencing activation or experiencing collapse, meeting that particular moment and being in relationship with that and what support it needs to be able to move, to be able to be held. And then there are all these threads of relationship that can be touched into and that aren't decontextualized. I think so much of, I don't even want to say healing or resolution, but there's The movement, I'll just say kind of coming out of the freeze and into a sense of the movement, has to do with just seeing the full context and seeing all of the different layers of context that have been severed and invisibilized. Because then the system will start as those places become visible again, and this sense of also the context of support that haven't, because that's, I mean, that's a basic thing. And it's, it's fascinating. And I don't think people talk about it enough is that our nervous systems literally learn perceptual gating. We learn to gate out the felt sense of support as children. You know, we learn to kind of pull our energy away from the earth because that's what we do in circumstances of threat. And we're following the, you know, the nervous system patterns of the adults around us. So we're learning to dissociate. We're learning to actually narrow the nourishment and support it's possible to receive. And when people talk about trauma informed, it's like, yes, that's one small piece of it, but you know, what if you're nourishment informed? What if you're actually meeting this wider container that's there, but is just not able to be perceived. Just like, You know, I mean, there's something healing that comes from witnessing trauma, because often trauma is not acknowledged, or given space to exist.
0: So you mean, like, when we allow ourselves to sink into those spaces of deep grief, that that's where that nourishment can actually come out of that, it's sort of like, if we can contain, create a space for the grief, for the tremendous grief, which could be generational going back even millennia, that from that. We develop a kind of container out of which nourishment can arise.
2: So that's sort of what I used to think. And I think that is very much the narrative, like within, you know, talking about, you know, the wound is the medicine or like, you know, all those. And I think there's an aspect of that that's true, but there's also this conceptual thing that happens that I think is very unique to like knowing both of our lineages, I'll say our people right now, you know, the people who are framed as white. This sense that the trauma is in between us and the felt sense of support, that if we can just like get through the trauma, process it, do the thing, then we'll have the support again. And like, it's literally like, you know, this idea of the trauma as like this wall, you know, that's like keeping us out of being able to access that support. This is the thing that it's still very hard to explain But I think we're so used to like perceiving, like just staying stationary in one place in our systems and not noticing that we have the ability to be with multiple things at the same time. And so even with that wall there, even with that, you know, those intense experiences of grief and abandonment as trauma and trauma there, there is still a part of our consciousness that can ally with the support. So as I have been kind of experiencing different kinds of healing or being with trauma or chronic illness or pain or discomfort or these different things. Sometimes, yes, it's really helpful to let the emotion move and really be with the deep feelings. Other times, and I would almost say most of the time, it's really helpful to start to attune more to a sense of the support and the resource. And often in that attunement with what is there holding the contracted parts of the system will start to shift on their own.
0: Mm. So it sounds like you're you're talking about being with the trauma without an agenda to resolve it.
2: Yeah, it's kind of, I can't remember if I talked about this last time or not. I think I might have. The ghost or the trauma in the system is this little piece of scotch tape. Did I I tell that? Yeah,
0: you did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that same thing is that our perceptual systems, we get kind of entrained to this sense of the trauma being the whole picture and that, you know, the thing that could be called healing or remediation or, you know, whatever the word is, it's about being able to sense into other aspects of the system. And so to have the option to like go directly into, you know, meeting the piece of scotch tape or the the sticky place, but also to have the option for many other forms of relating. And that often not going straight to the sticky place, letting the sticky place be there, not trying to change it, not making it wrong, not exiling it, but not obsessing over it or feeling like it has to be fixed.
0: Right, we're so obsessed with fixing things and resolving things. Yeah. And there's going to be trauma and there's trauma all around. And as you say, if we could learn to dance while trauma exists, we can have a a more multi-dimensional relationship with ourselves and the world around us without having to always focus on or feel like we're being debilitated by the trauma. You know, in other words, making the trauma the focal point or centerpiece of our lives in some way.
2: Yeah. Because I think we also, we're not the one who actually changes anything.
0: Right. Right.
2: You know, there's like such an obsession with solving the problems. You know, what about dissolving? What about just allowing things to dissolve? Like I spend a lot of time walking by the river where I live and watching the ice form and melt and form and melt. And that these kind of like domination fields or trauma body energies, they're basically just clumps of ice that are there in the river. And, you know, kind of have this story that there's nothing outside of them, but the water is still there. The wider holding is still there and they're not, not... Also that.
0: And there's a springtime that comes if we choose to avail ourselves of it. And it seems as though we also have the ability to step outside of time and prevent Mm -hmm. the warmth of spring from melting the ice
2: Mm. that
0: may get stuck in parts of us or get stuck in our world somewhere.
2: Yeah. And I think there's something about that. The phrase is there because of a lack of support. You know, the freeze is a wise adaptation to the support not being present for the melting to happen.
0: Yeah. So getting back to the support, I had this one experience somewhere around 15 years ago where I went up to visit some friends up in Northern California, and we did this amazing kind of holding slash potentially healing, although it wasn't specifically about healing, but there were six of us, and we each had a chance to lie down in the middle of the circle of us, and the rest of us just reached our hands underneath the person, and we literally held them for as long as it felt like we needed to, and we took as much of their body weight in our hands. We were sitting with our hands on the ground so that it wasn't that hard to do that, but we were engaging in physically carrying and holding and supporting. And for me, for my inside experience of being held in that way, it was an absolutely miraculous experience. Yeah. Something unlike anything I've ever experienced. And to be held that way for, let's say, 45 minutes or so, with each person completely focused in the present moment with us. Mm-hmm. That's an essential ingredient in that process as well. Yeah, Everybody being fully engaged, fully present, and also without any agenda, just being fully, fully present and open. And it sounds like that's what you're describing as the nourishing experience that you experienced when you were up against the wall of the dead bureaucratic challenge that you were trying to deal with.
2: Maybe undead.
0: Undead, yeah. (laughs) It's
2: like like dead, but it's not quite dead. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the zombie metaphor is so
0: applicable to this culture we're living in.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That story is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that feels like exactly. And I think some of my most profound experiences of support have come through touch. And I think that truly cannot be underestimated. Just the biological need for other mammals to be holding space that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I've done a lot of
0: hands-on touch kind of practices and experienced a lot of different things, but that one was just so much more powerful and deeply profound than anything else I had ever experienced. And it really does take a dedicated group of people who are willing to go there.
2: Yeah. And I feel like that's a really potent illustration of this sense of how we need other bodies to be Mm. portals into our own sense of connection and the ability of the processes inside of us to unfold, That that that's a developmental need that for most of us has not been fully met and is kind of needing to be tissued and woven through time, and that with that holding, whether it's in the physical or whether it, it's energetic, that's where we really can start to meet places in our system that are beyond that perceptual narrowing that we've had to learn to be and to survive.
0: Right, that has made us feel like these possibilities don't even exist. They're not even conceivable. We we can't even imagine them.
2: Yeah. Or if we can imagine them, there's like the bridging isn't there.
0: Or we, we don't deserve it.
2: Mm-hmm. Why aren't we able to do it? Why? We shouldn't be there. We beat ourselves up for all the ways that we're not. I mean, there really is something about the entire kind of shape of this idea that we make something happen or change something, you know, through willpower, through like, you know, being good enough or deserving enough. And it really does shift something when there's this sense of how the whole ecosystem, including the parts that might not be noticed are kind of sensing and attuning and waiting for the moment in which that convergence of support is there, that convergence of what Nora Bateson calls readiness is there for something to emerge.
0: Yeah, and the shape of not being who we actually most really are. Yeah. Isn't that a trip? (laughs) That is such a trip. I'm talking with Shanti Sojourn Zenith. She's the author of Making Your Body the Prayer and this is wgdr plainfield wgdh hardwick central vermont community radio that is such a trip and this is a dynamic that i've been experiencing on an embodied level you know while i've been having these conversations with you and reading your thesis my last interview was with a chinese scholar and he wrote a new translation of the Tao de jing and in taoism or at least in those text of the Tao Te Ching, they are deeply exploring these profound paradoxes that can only be embodied at the visceral level. And that talking about that, it's like mental masturbation, but when we can actually sink into, dissolve ourselves into those profound and incomprehensible paradoxes. And that's actually why I spend so much time in liminal space because there's a lot of possibility there, open possibility,
2: yeah, I think like that's that's where a lot of the nourishment comes from. you know, and then there's the whole process of integrating it and allowing it to infuse you know just the very daily, simple, intimate life things.
0: so where would you like to go from here?
2: I would really love to talk about my talkie a little bit,
0: oh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs>
2: She's shy, so she always sort of finds a way of not getting focused on.
0: But welcome, Maitake. Yes, come
2: There's join us. There's something about that experience of relating with Maitake mushroom that has been an incredible teacher for me about yeah that dance between holding and being held and the different kinds of attention that actually I think feels like really important example. The basic piece about it is the kind of the meta process. I've never had that experience before. Well, okay, that's not true. I have actually, I did kind of have an experience of channeling the river with the river's voice as well as writing. But maitake was my taki was my first real experience of just dropping in to another kind of being, another kind of organism and inviting them to share space in my body and speak through my voice. And this kind of game that we ended up playing, this interview, which was folding time, that started as maitaki speaking in response to these questions that I hadn't asked yet. And then through either, either some form of time travel I'm not going to tell you about or, or through some technological processes, layering the other side of the conversation and being able to interview this nature being who was speaking through my body and I think out of, I mean, there's so many different layers there, but that I really got to experience how there can be both that holding and held at the same time. And the first interview process took place over about 48 hours. So it was very fresh. The second one, there were maybe, I think, four months in between when I recorded the Mitaki segment. And then when I went back in to have a conversation with her. And it really felt like time travel. I mean, what my talkie was saying was in direct response to what I then asked without remembering anything, which I then asked four months later. So yeah, I would love to, I don't know if you maybe have particular questions or if things are sparked just based on that, but that I'm still, you know, it's now over a year from the first interview and around a year from the second one. And I'm still kind of being like, what was that? That was... That was amazing. And I'm still just, yeah, dancing with this encounter. Well, tell us
0: to the best of your ability, what that was like for you and what made it so amazing for you and how you experienced the amazingness of that in your body.
2: My talking made a space for these parts of me to come through. I mean, talking about perceptual gating and the sense of how the nervous system limits you know, the possibility of expression and creativity, you know, to allow for protection and safety. It was like through listening to my talkie and this mushroom being's particular way of sensing and presence and the words that were coming through as I was channeling her as she was kind of just sort of, you know, shaping my movements and my sounds and my words. It was also as if I got to taste all these other aspects of myself that had to do with sensuality and had to do with just this this luxuriating and slowness and listening and I've had a couple experiences of taking psilocybin and it was in some ways very similar the experience of channeling a mushroom where this sense that the gating kind of came down and there were just other possibilities and More could be sensed, more could be let in, and it was very attuned to this kind of deep integrity and the sense of that connection to primordial nourishment and the love that is the foundation of reality, that the words were coming from there. Because at that time, I was really stuck in my writing and my describing. A lot of the things that you and I have talked about over these two conversations were things I... I kind of sensed inside of me, but I had no language for. And it was almost as if my nervous system had a taboo about talking about them and about kind of perceiving the culture in these ways which were not normalized or didn't have any kind of modeling or very little modeling. And so that experience of attuning to this mushroom being and the poetry that came through, which is still... A lot of it is just is so surprising to me and touched places in my practice, in my writing and in, in things that I'm still, you know, a year later, just starting to unpack and come into an awareness of. And it really did feel like, I mean, one of the things Maitake talks about is that she grows at the roots of the oldest, wisest oak trees of the forest. And so she's very attuned to the brain of the forest, the sense of the neural network, because she's literally growing right out of the roots of the mother trees, which are the trees that are the most engaged in nourishing and supporting. And so it really felt that the questions I was engaged in around what is the developmental support that my people were missing that is causing this stuckness and this freeze in terms of being able to come back into felt sense relationship with the body and to come back into the sense of living process and allowing that systems have an intelligence to know how to change and how to emerge. It really felt like she was able to be in direct response to that from her perception. And I say her is just the way I'm talking about her. I don't necessarily think she has a gender, but it felt like she was in really deep resonance from her ecosystem to my ecosystem.
0: And isn't that kind of an expression of the long body, the notion of the long body, you know, from our own sense of our body to that expansion along those threads or lines of like mycelial mind?
2: Yeah. And it's the tissuing process. It's how Nora talks about Mm tissuing, that there's something about this whole concept called abductive process, which is also kind of another way of talking about metaphor, talking about how we understand you know, something in terms of relationship to another something. But it's this tissueing where we, we learn by, you know, starting in our centers and moving out into relationship and then coming back in. Something is learned and something is metabolized.
0: So like a constant dialogue between our inner ecosystem and the outer ecosystem. Yeah. Which is the natural thing that's happening in nature all the time between all living beings that are in proximity it's a kind of vibratory oscillation.
2: Exactly. And it's also happening in us. It's just that when we're not actually participating, it can be really uncomfortable, you know. and it can show up in a lot of ways, you know, because our systems are still responding, but when there's not an attunement to what's happening, which is also why channeling maitake was profound, being the human. Interviewing or speaking with my talkie was also an amazing experience because the game that this whole kind of system invited was for me to basically do the equivalent of getting on a Zoom call with this creature, this mushroom organism. And showing up for the entire conversation completely live without, you know, later I edited for time, but I was there, you know, the first interview was probably over two hours. And I sat there for two hours, and we had the conversation. And so I got to do something which I think we kind of rarely do, especially when we're like, experiencing, you know, a trance state is I I watched myself as this completely other being. And I feel like, I actually saw myself more clearly in that time when I was channeling my Taki. I saw the possibilities of who I could be much more clearly in a lot of ways and had this really sacred experience of holding space for that. And in that witnessing and that two hours that I spent with my Taki, just Being the other side of the container, being the one who has that sacred protection of that, which is most vulnerable and precious in a really ordinary, sweet way. (laughs) And then the flip side, the second conversation, when Maitake was interviewing me, I also had the experience of just kind of very similar to the conversation we're having now, just having a conversation. And something about it, I don't know, it's almost hard to reduce to words, but it made clear what had been already happening in the ways in which nature was speaking to and through me, the way that that was an initiatory relationship, a a relationship where I was really kind of being invited into sensing the things outside of the shape of self I had constructed for safety and invited to mature. And I think that this entire project and then the microcosm of these interviews with my talkie. I really feel how the ecosystem has been holding my own my own maturing. And I don't think that's unique to me. I think that's happening to all of us in different ways. I think we just often don't have the spaces and the silence and the support to really let that seep in and be real.
0: Mm. Yes, you were describing that. It made me see my old psychedelic experiences with fungi in a completely different light that yeah. it was it was like channeling that i was in a sense being possessed by the vastly broader intelligence of these substances whether they were <laughs> derived from a rye based fungus on rye or whether from a once living psilocybin mushroom that I was experiencing very much a channeling, a living expansion of who I am and reshaping of who I am and can be into something very new, and yet, again, an extension of who and what I am. Yeah. And as you said, this is something that's happening to many of us and is available to all of us.
2: Right. And I think that that's the perceptual shifting, is that we're always channeling. We're always host and entangled to a whole webbing of beings. Exactly. Yes. I was thinking that.
0: And again, what you were saying about how we're all channeling all the time, because we're in this porous relationship with everything. And And so we are, in a sense, being possessed by everything because we are not separate from everything. It's just that there's a a very shape-shifting and time-shifting kind of dance that's going on all the time that manifests in so many different ways. And yet, because of the gating nature of our frontal cortex, we tend to limit the stories we tell about our experience. But if we look at it in this more broader mycelial sense, it's just sprouting out, threading out, tissueing out in all kinds of different directions.
2: Right. And I think an important thing is that when we're in that limiting and that perceptual narrowing, which is necessary, I mean, that's the, it's it's a, it's
0: part of the survival mode.
2: It's part of the survival mode and it has a relationship to the need for that discerning center. I think often we rely more on like extreme perceptual gating and kind of gatekeeping of reality when we don't have that access to our sense of discernment and our ability to modulate and our ability to say, actually, I want less of that or no, thank you, not right now. But, you know, when we do the limiting of reality, we're still channeling and getting possessed by things. We're just getting possessed by the consensus reality spirits, you know, which are also spirits. They're yes. also relational fields, the domination fields. And, you know, that's what we call mental health and, you know, negative self-talk and like all those things are still, you know, there's still beings who are often transgenerational are often older than just our own bodies.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. And the ego tends to think of itself as a very isolated, continual, consistent, rational, sensible thing. And yet we are so much, so much more than that. And what a shame to just be limited by that very narrow perspective.
2: Yeah, it's a safety shaping. And part of that shaping, I think, is just where the possibilities get so narrowed also.
0: Which also reveals that there is essentially an infinite range of possibility that actually is available beyond that. Right. And that's what's so wonderful about all of this. It's like the boundary is also the invitation beyond the boundary.
2: Mm. Yeah, that putting your body in the shape of the absence and making your body the prayer. Like that was not within my cognitive mind when those words from my talkie came through. So this feels like the absolute perfect time to read the oracle card that you had asked me to read. So this one is Revelation. Underneath the underneath is the place where realities connect, where gravity curls inwards to embrace remembering, where you will know the clear tangibility of truth only through its intersections with others risking story. Narrative disintegrates into this primal sea, awash with storm-wrecked certainties and decomposing paradoxes. The truth is in the in-between, vibrating between intricate patterns of crossed threads, order springing from the touched places, resonating across distance into trust.
0: I love that passage.
2: I do too. That was another one I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I also just found out like some artists in Chicago made a dance piece of the Oracle card. I don't even know how they got the poem, but they, they cited me and you know, it's like, wow, that's spreading. That's amazing. This has been
0: absolutely wonderful. Is there any final words, anything else you would like mm-hmm. to share before we say goodbye?
2: Just thank you. Thank you so much. This has really felt like a kind of ignition of the conclusion of this layer of my creative process. And it's been an absolute gift to just get to listen into things and share about things and talk about these these beings that I've been really deeply related to without really getting to share about them with other people. So thank you so much.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful and delicious set of conversations. (laughs)
2: great it was lovely to talk to
0: you that was shanti sojourn zenith she's an earth poet edge weaver approaching ritual through the nervous system creative expression and relationship to wider ecosystemic bodies of support her practice weaves together learnings from somatics animism constellations poetics field perception clowning grief, ritual, and systems intelligence. She offers group and one-on-one sessions and consulting through her website, earthpoetedgeweaver.com, and is currently completing Long Body Prayers, a book of ego-poetic essays.
1: Everyone's too scared to open their eyes up But everyone's too scared to close them Everyone's frightened, they don't know what's coming But everyone's frightened of knowing Everyone's reading the rules of engagement And everyone's starting to doubt them Everyone's reaching to put on a seatbelt But this kind of ride comes without them I want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you I wish we could meet all the people behind us in line Climb to the crest is less frightening with someone to clutch you. But isn't it nice when we're all afraid at the same time? And it's just a ride. It's just a ride. And you've got the choice to get off any time that you like It's just a ride It's just a ride The alternatives and nothingness might as well give it a try Everyone's terrified that they'll be justified by the collapse that will happen Everyone's placing their bets just in case the whole thing's a profound disappointment Everyone's trying to stay on the side where the water's just boiling more slowly Frogs in a pot, oh that's one thing I've got At least some of the frogs in here know me I want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you The chain pulls us up and we know that we're all gonna die And the noise of the screaming can blind and distract you But isn't it nice when we all can scream at the same time And it's just a ride It's just a ride And you've got the choice to get off any time that you like It's just a ride It's just a ride The alternatives, nothingness Might as well give it a try And as we all Scared to let go of their children, and some are too scared now to have them. Suicide, homicide, genocide—man, that's a fuck on of sides you can choose from. I want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you. Wish we could meet all the people who got left behind The ride is so loud it can make you think no one is listening. But isn't it nice when we all
0: And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. And it's
1: just a ride. It's just a ride. And you've got the choice to get off any time that you like It's just a ride It's just a ride The alternatives, nothingness Might as well give it a try And just be all Sister you miss, to the father you don't want to write It's just a ride It's just a ride From the lover you left to the one that you frightened the baby a to the one that you're growing inside Come on out darling And don't you cry